Content marketing seems to be all the rage. For years now, we've had people telling us, yeah, write more content, put together more information, just throw it up on your website and you'll get people to come to your website and you'll get more and more people and they'll eventually buy. Or long tail strategies or so many different things. And sure, first of all, it worked in the beginning for sure. And, you know, when nobody else is doing something and you start doing it, especially if it's following the right pathway, you're, you're going to get some business from it. You're going to be able to grow something from it. But when everybody starts doing the exact same thing, that's when it starts to work less and less. And yeah, it might get you some more people to come to your website. It might get you some more traction, but not necessarily with people who are going to buy, not necessarily with the people who can make or break your business. You get more traffic on your website. You get more noise, essentially, but it doesn't necessarily translate into business. You ever see those ads online that ask you to sign up for a special training or to join their exclusive business, which, you know, by only giving them $500, they'll teach you how to make thousands of dollars per month doing nothing but filling envelopes or sending out emails or whatever it is. Those things that sound too good to be true, but sometimes maybe if you're struggling a little bit financially or even if you're kind of okay financially, in the back of your head you think, maybe it'll work. And you think, maybe I'll try it. And it's not just online. It's also some of these multi-level marketing businesses. They get so intense with their sales efforts And they're showing you so much information that if it's true, you could truly change your life. But those are the key words. If it's true, they promise you the moon. And while there may be some people who have actually gotten to the moon using their programs and using their systems, it's hard to believe that their systems really are the bee's knees that they claim them to be. And why is that? One of the key reasons why I think that is because if it was really so easy, if they really had the system fully figured out, if they really had it ready to go and this is it and you can make millions, why wouldn't they just hire a guy to do it? Why wouldn't they just give somebody a regular old job? Hey, I'll pay you $50,000 a year. I'll pay you $100,000 a year, right? If they have a system that creates $10,000 a month in income, why wouldn't they hire somebody for $100,000 a year to go put that system into place and pay them $100,000 a year and keep the extra twenty dollars or whatever the numbers are? Pay them seventy. dollars Who cares? So that's the one, I guess you could say, obstacle that always stops me from moving forward with these things. Now, does that mean that I've never moved forward with one of them? I did with a few things when I was younger, much younger, many years ago. But these marketers, to some degree, they're preying on our emotional states. They're preying on the fact that many of us are looking to build a better life in some way, somehow. And so if somebody is currently struggling with money or is concerned about losing their job or wants to create some financial freedom, to some degree, they're preying on these types of people. Today, we're going to talk with somebody who is literally doing battle against these types of marketers and putting together marketing content for people who are creating products that you can be proud of, creating products that you can feel good knowing that you're a part of it. This is a constant thing. What we're seeing more and more nowadays is that the entrepreneurs who are coming out with new businesses are people who are passionate about their project. They are incredibly 
interested in changing the world in some fundamental way, and they're using their company as an avenue to do that. And this gentleman, this marketer, Simon Lamy, he is working with people just like this, and he's finding ways to make the world a better place, essentially, by working with companies that do this type of stuff, and working with charities, and and working with places that are furthering overall goals. You know, you have these huge companies who maybe say they care, maybe they do care, maybe they don't care, whatever it is, but you've got these tiny little companies and they're literally changing the world one step at a time and they're the ones who are the catalysts for growth in our time. They're the ones that we really should be spending our money with, that we really should be paying attention to because they're the ones who are going to make a difference in the world ultimately. Whether it's just because their influence is picked up by the larger companies or whether it's because they become the larger company because they're so incredibly passionate about their product and they have such a good product. doesn't matter. Anyways, without further ado, I'd love to introduce our guest for today, Simon Lamy. This is the Way to Greatness podcast, where we explore the journey from failure and mediocrity to success and greatness. And now your host, Ari Gunsberg. Today we have with us Simon Lamy. Thanks for coming on to the show, Simon. Simon is known as the Hugh Grant of marketing. Yes, I am going to call you out for that. You put it up there. I'm going to say it. Why do they call you that, Simon? Uh, do you know what? I was speaking to uh, to a friend and I thought, I don't really know how to describe myself to people. And he just said, I really am like Hugh Grant. When I <laughs> Maybe when I speak and how I am in meetings. Slightly self-effacing as well. I suppose I'm quite, I'm British, but I'm oh. probably what, you know, slightly more traditionally old school British as well. So um, it kind of fitted. And then someone else said the same completely independently. So I thought, well, it looked quite fun on my website. Yeah. Honestly, with how you look, I would have gone more with Matthew McConaughey, but he is nothing uh. like British. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, big fan of you already. Oh, there we go. Okay. That's how I make fans, is it? Exactly. My, my wife will be pleased. So, yeah. Oh, there you go. We didn't touch upon what you do exactly. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do, please? Yeah, of course. Of course. I actually work in marketing. I sell marketing advice to ad agencies, to small businesses, and I, you know, and also medium to large size brands as well. So a lot of the spectrum. So at the moment, I sell marketing advice at one-to-one consultancy, typically through through agencies to their bigger clients, but I also sell my time uh, via online communities at the moment, uh, written books, I've written two books, uh, and also one-to-one consultancy, which is like where people pay for the hour, and that's all to small businesses. And I'm looking to do more things like workshops next year, but you know, I've got twins due in a few months, so life's going to get a bit get, get a bit different, and I'm not sure how, how different it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, kids add a huge dynamic to life. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier that before the show that you have a daughter also. So I will tell you one thing that my wife and I found out was that the jump from two to three was a bit different than the jump from one to two. 
So you're just making that jump all at once. So just remember to be paid, <laughs> to remain patient. <laughs> and that's probably the biggest thing of all is just to remain patient and just, you know, take a deep breath when you need to. I like your advice. I'm going to take that and I'll email you in a few months time and let you know how it's going. Yeah, yeah that'll be awesome. <laughs> I saw when you were up and coming, when you were just getting into the business, you started out by working for Saatchi and Saatchi. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the UK, it's Saatchi and Saatchi. I mean, it depends what side of the Atlantic you're on. <laughs> it's fine. I, the double A threw me off. Anyway, so you were working for this uh, big advertising agency, Saatchi and mm. Saatchi, mm. and you started off doing adverts for cement. Yeah, that was my first account. So I wasn't even the guy who could do the creative. I was the guy who was sort of project managing it. They call it account managing. Okay. It was even duller than that. So uh, it was it was okay. It was fine. It was a good fit in the door. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know what was your favorite campaign for the cement, if you're allowed to say. Oh, yeah. There was one for, um, it was about quick drying cement. And so they had to bring to life the benefit of how quickly their cement could dry. So they actually had the, I think it was the footprints of Superman in in the cement that had actually solidified by, <laughs> by the time Superman had run across it. So all you saw were the boots of Superman written below. Oh, nice. So it was a TV advert? No, no, it was a load of press advertising. It was, it was so dull that uh, there was no TV. All they did was put ads into magazines, into trade magazines. And yeah, you know, when you start out in your career working in cement and you're looking at press advertising, <laughs> It wasn't the most glamorous start, even though the agency was particularly glamorous. So, right. you know, you've got to start somewhere, haven't you? You always have to start somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some of the bigger brands that you've worked with? Uh, well, I've uh, so Coca-Cola, um, Honda, uh, worked a lot on Honda. Um, I social media with Coca-Cola. So that was uh, sporting a, a team up in London for a while. I've worked with so many. The reason I'm pausing is because you tend to, I think I've worked out that I've worked for over 220 brands that when you try to recall all of the, all of them in one, it sort of makes your, you know, your head stultifies, but JP Morgan, another one, gosh, uh, I I even forget the British government. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've even, I've even worked for um, smaller brands. Oh yeah. I've worked for McDonald's brand too. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's not, it's, it's felt slightly soulless, if I'm honest. Uh, yeah. Do you want to expand on that or no? Oh, no, it's fine. It's just incredibly cutthroat. So it, it was a big reason why I went to, uh, well, it was a big reason. It was another factor about why I wanted to work for myself. Cause I think I lost the, I lost the sense of meaning, if you like, uh, the feeling of meaning, you know, going to work for people and for working for bigger companies who can, who do stuff to people's lives. And these people like McDonald's in particular. Hopefully I won't get sued from saying this, but it was, it just felt very soulless, incredibly cutthroat. And um, I remember that they, they don't really care about people's health. They just want people to buy. Right. The bottom line is basically what they want. Yeah. That's all they care about. It doesn't matter how organic or cruelty free or whatever stuff they say in the ads, they don't care. And then not, this isn't just McDonald's. This is the number one. I worked for a big sports brand. I think it was LucasAid. I don't know if you have LucasAid over there, but they're they're huge. I don't think so. Uh, it's a bit like Gatorade. They're sort of as big as that. Okay. That sort of size. And um, I think GlaxoSmithKline, huge organization, open um, own them. And I remember sitting in a meeting where they were, they've got this energy drink, which really did nothing for people. And it was just pumped full of, you know, uh, nonsense that's probably doesn't. Sugar, do. caffeine. 
that sort of stuff yeah and they had their lawyers in the room and saying you can't say that you can sort of say that and just trying to get away with as much as possible I don't know it's all those little things that added up over the years and I thought I'd rather work for people who produce stuff that they they really care about they're not trying to hoodwink other people through it so yeah (laughs) you wanted to work with passionate people yeah passionate people who really care so at the moment I'm working with a lot more more charities uh, some larger some smaller and obviously that's really nice and easy but I work with a lot of startups and people who have got businesses who are just starting I know from nothing and people who've had startups running for a little while and they really care they do they genuinely want to do something different I think there are lots of people who have been frustrated with the corporate world as well. Yes, I think that's the, the general gist of society nowadays is that the larger the corporation is and the longer they've been around is more than likely the worse that it is to be associated with them. Although sometimes we have to go with them just because that's you know they're dominant in the industry and it's going to take a lot for them to no longer be dominant in the industry. Yes, you know, I think you're, you're, <laughs> you can learn a lot from them as well. So, you know, if you read the case studies. And- I wanted to know, what lessons have you learned from working with these huge brands? Oh, that's a, that is a very good question. I, I suppose the biggest one is how disloyal people are, and you can't force people to be more loyal than they are. There's a phrase which is called polygamous loyalty, which sounds quite cryptic, but it's not. Um, so polygamous loyalty is uh, it simply means that you're loyal to a number of brands at the same time. It's a bit like if people who have numbers of you hear about communities of men who have numbers of wives, similar thing. Right. You know, people will still buy, I don't know, Doritos, but in the same week they might also buy, I don't know, Lay's crisps or something or chips or other or something like that. They will, they'll buy your product and someone else's, even though they're a competitors and you can't stop people from doing that. You're saying, cause obviously the brand would want the person to only buy their brand, but ultimately mm-hmm. Somebody might have in their mind, let's say, uh, as far as chips go or crisps, like you say, mm-hmm. there's six brands that they're okay with and nothing else. Yeah. And so for Doritos, they hate that because they want everybody to buy just Doritos. But ultimately, that's what ends up happening because people are like, look, you know, these are all good chips. So I wouldn't mind buying them. Exactly. Is that the idea? You're, you're spot on because that's really how people buy. I mean, people have might have two cars on on their driveway, for example. Uh, I mean, people are loyal to a brand, but you can't, you also can't get people all the time to, to buy more than they have. And people will always shop around and they'll buy from various brands of which yours might be one. But I think it's what's most interesting is actually is when people who focus purely on loyalty don't grow. So it's fine if you have reached the level in your business where you're happy with the number of customers, happy with the number of dollars in the bank. But if you want to grow further, you have to reach out outside existing customers. So businesses that want to grow, but don't reach new customers and focus purely on rewarding the existing ones, barely see any growth. And and it's a mistake that some people make, not, not as many as they used to. To not look for new customers? Yeah, exactly. You have to, because and you look at, so a lot of my background is in the marketing science uh, background. So when you have a business who wants to grow to a certain number, not every business wants to grow. Uh, believe it or not, some people are happy with enough, which is excellent. I, everyone has their enough limit. Right, which they still would need to be bringing in new clients to deal with attrition, but much less new clients. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it is possible to retain a certain number of customers, but yes, you'll have a certain, you still need to keep them topping up as well, because as you say, some people are going to leave and, uh, and so you need to find new joiners. But yeah, I mean, uh, there are examples out there, certainly of people who just, who um small businesses who can, live happily on existing customers and just only need to top up 
with new customers now and then, but pretty much every other business I know wants to grow quickly. They're not happy with it there enough. They, they haven't found their limit of what they can handle. Right. If you don't reach new customers and you just try and reward people who are who are existing customers only, you know, you can't always get them to buy more. So for example, if you if you're going to buy a packet of chips, you can't get people more. It's hard to get people to buy more packets of chips than they would normally. You know, if somebody buys two two a week, they probably don't want to buy two or three packets more right. in a week. They just they're just happy with their lot. They'll buy as much as they want. That was a bit of an eye opener. Polyg- being polygamously loyal. Yeah. Right on. Before you had said that a lot of people are unable to get people to be loyal. But I, I had this like thought when you said that, I was like, but with the right, I don't even want to know if I want to say brand here, but with the right outlook and the right attitude, I feel like you could technically inspire loyalty. Now, I don't know if it's for something as mundane as chips or even something as ubiquitous as a car. Because when you're looking for a car, I mean, yeah, there's those occasional families that have only Hondas in the driveway or only Toyotas in the driveway or whatever it is. But most people are looking for a dependable car that's going to last them a long time. So there's, let's say, three or four or five brands that they would be willing to buy. So, But it's when those companies do those epic things, and I, I can't even think of one right now off the top of my head, but there are stories out there of companies that did something that was so amazing. Oh, like there's an old story here on this side of the pond about Nordstrom's that, and I don't even know if it's true, but it doesn't have to be true with the feelings that it, that it evokes. You know, there's an old story that there was a a Nordstrom's that opened up in a, like a mall and a lady walked in and she's like, I want to return this tire. And the guy's like, um, we don't sell tires. And she's like, no, but I bought it here and I want to return it. And they had been in the location for like five years. And the before that, there was one store. Before that, there was like a tire store. And ultimately, the guy was like, okay, here's your $150 back or something like that. Because they're Nordstrom's and they return everything. And that created a considerable amount of brand loyalty. But again, I think, I don't know if it created only uniquely loyal people, but it certainly did create a level of loyalty. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree. I think you can, it is important to keep existing customers loyal, but you're quite right. And there are things you need to do. You need to make sure they're getting the best care. And also loyalty, can, if you do treat customers well, they then refer yep. you to other people as well. So. Brand evangelists. Yeah. Exactly. It's always nice to have those. It is, it is. So I'm not saying don't do it at all. I'd say it's a must, but on top of that, you need to really reach new customers. It's very important. So, Yep. The healthiest breakfast on the planet. <laughs> what a claim. Yeah, what a claim. What a claim on my website, yeah. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, of course. I highly recommend it. So every morning I have what I call a breakfast bowl. Now this is inspired by the actually fitness instructor your side of the pond i think he's a he's a guy called mike dolce and he has he's got something called the dolce diet he's excellent he's an amazing guy i think he lives in california and he trains mma fighters and this is i think the, the breakfast he gives them but it's i've adapted it over the years but it is phenomenally healthy and i claim it's the healthiest so it's about half a cup Roughly, I've been adapting it, so slightly changed from the website. But it's about half a cup of oats, a couple of teaspoons of chia seeds, hemp seeds, flax seeds, cocoa nibs, soy milk, frozen berries, banana, local organic honey, a teaspoon of that. Yeah, I think I've covered it off. It is a very, very healthy breakfast. Oh, with turmeric and uh, cinnamon. That sounds delicious to me, but I typically eat healthier, so... 
<laughs> one thing, talking about oatmeal, one thing that I notice is they sell those packets of oatmeal at the store that have all the sugar and all the junk in it. So I don't like to get those, yeah. but what can I do? I, you know, I grew up on sugar. I've got a bit of a sweet tooth. So one thing that I found works really well is plain oats with either dates. They like kind mm. of melt into the oatmeal a little bit. Uh, the chopped dates that have like a little bit of the powder on them, they, they melt into the oats a little bit and they just end up being really good. You can add some nuts to that also, you know, some date walnut, date almond, whatever. But nice. the dates I, I find like are, are pretty good. Uh, you know, like if you want to make yourself a dry packet of oatmeal for the road or something, yeah. Just drop some dates and some oats into into a bag and then dump it into some hot water and that's it. You got a meal. That's a really good idea. You you should put that up on your site as well. <laughs> we should challenge each other to a healthy breakfast off site. I don't know who can judge it, but yeah. Yeah, there you go. That would be interesting. The project that you're currently working on, you call it the brain wheel. Yes, yes. Can you describe what the brain wheel means and you know just tell us a little bit more about this initiative that you're working on? Yeah, of course, of course. So the brain wheel is, it all originates from when I was talking to um, a guy called uh, a guy called Sean, who, who said he had a problem with about why it's about why, why is it that the customers go to the competition, even though he's got a much better product or service? Because surely, if you've got a better product or service, they should come to you and not keep going to the competition. Absolutely. That, that was the, that was an incredibly interesting conversation. So that was the sort of the problem, the grand problem that the business was to solve and i actually use them i'm a huge fan of emotional marketing so uh, that sounds sounds rather broad it sounds rather interesting to me i've never even thought about it marketing as emotional but (laughs) well that's the thing because if you don't create emotion in people's brains they're going to go and choose the same old competition rather than you even if your product is better so what you need to do is you need to find out ways to create stimulate motion in customers minds because that gets them more likely to buy and it's not just me coming up with some wacky theory it's um it's based on the marketing science that i've grown and studied with over the past 14 years is that when you create motion in customers minds that's what makes them more likely to buy from you and the way you do that is a concept i call emotional acupuncture <laughs> and it's a bit like these imaginary needles that you stick in you, you stick into imaginary needles, but you stick into customers' brains, so they're more likely to to react to the say the content you produce using words or video or print ads or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Uh, well, in fact, there are three core cool concepts around it. There are um, the three needles, if you like. There's it's the message that's got to be right. The the way you create emotion. The second needle's got to be right. And then finally, the the brand itself has to be present. And they're all really important needles to put in to create this level of emotion to get people to to be more likely to buy. And then I sort of break down that concept when I work with clients as well. So yeah, it's good. It's good. I mean, I have a few other systems, but that's sort of the general principle or philosophy that I try to spread across all my products and services. That sounds really cool. And you call it the brain wheel. Why? Uh, Well, what I didn't say was actually it's emotion that makes people's brains that the wheels in people and customers brains spin and when they spin it makes them more likely to to think of you when it comes to buying oh. so i imagine it'll, you know so what you want to do is you want to get people's brains brain wheels spinning so they're thinking of you and not your competition and that's all done through emotion and emotions the thing that spins people's brains or brain wheels rather. yeah right have you started writing a book on the acupuncture of marketing yet 
Uh, how funny i did my first presentation on it recently oh. as well to a room of about 55 people so it went down very well actually i'm not even bigging myself up you know british people can be like they can be slightly <laughs> self-deprecating especially if you're like hugh grant but it, it, uh, <laughs> but it did actually go down incredibly well so yeah some very good couple of good leads from it as well but um it will be a course in time or it will be a book i haven't quite decided i, I like it to be a course first yeah it sounds like a fat, you could do both by the way, but it sounds like a fascinating concept because it, I don't know if it works for people who haven't had acupuncture, but for anybody who's had acupuncture, they're like, okay, so fine. So this needle obviously has to go in that place and that one has to go in that place. Mm. Well, it, you have to be very precise with it because at the moment it's, it's kind of like an audit system. An audit system sounds phenomenally dull. When you call it emotional acupuncture system, it's a bit more interesting. And so when you create content, your, your, your message has to actually have a, has to have a number of things in it. It needs to have a connection. It needs to have a results, a uniqueness, a proof, and a, and a push rolling out. So whether it's a newsletter that you're writing or whether it's a social media video, they all need to have this this running through the message. And, but that's just the message. And then how do you create the emotion, which is the second needle? And then the third needle is the brand. And they've all got different elements within them, but you need to get them right. Because when people's emotions peak, they start to pay attention. And getting attention is incredibly hard. Right, especially in this world. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Are you familiar with um, Al Rees and Jack Trout positioning? I'm not. No, no, go for it. They wrote a book in the 90s, I think it was, called Positioning. Mm. I read the updated copy of it. And, you know, towards the beginning of the book, they discussed this whole issue of getting people's attention. And back mm. then in the 90s, and we're 25 years later now or so, back then they were saying that on average Americans are advertised to like six hours per day or some meaning the number of advertising minutes or hours or dollars or whatever, like it's, it's astronomical. So this is where the whole banner blindness starts coming in because we've just been ingrained with so much advertising and so much, you know, click me, click me, click me. And we're like, no, no, no. And you know, like I run an ad blocker on my browser and every website that I go to, you know, they're like, Oh, please turn it off. And I'm like, no. And if they block me out of their website, I just go to another one. Cause like, it's not that important. It's rarely that important. Sometimes it is, but it's rarely that important to go. Yeah. I do not. I, I can be quite right. Yeah. As a professional marketer, you know, I feel like you're damned if you do damned if you don't. So we won't go down that road. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That leads me into my next question. Actually, can you describe how to do content marketing that gets clicked and not ignored? <laughs> that's exactly the emotional acupuncture that's how to do it so ah. this is a that's a great question so uh, this was the presentation actually i did um, a few weeks ago as well so to, in order to do that to get the content that gets clicked it comes down to having the right message and i think the easiest one to think of is a facebook ad i know facebook ad isn't necessarily pure content yeah, ideally it should be organic but the, the principles are always the same but you, you've got to have a connection, you know, killer headline straight from the start that relates to you and your problem. Uh, and not many people do that. You have to connect with your audience straight away. So, I mean, if you're a charity, you can, it's got to, it's easy to talk about a plight that's happening somewhere else, but it's got to be related to you. Did you know that uh, even just using the word you is important? That's very important, starting with a connection, because you need to connect with people straight away. And uh, obviously, usually, if you're not a charity, getting someone's problem with a, that comes out of their mouth and then putting that as the headline uh, works very well. It's better. Than, I, I think it's more effective than, uh, than looking for SEO, long tail keywords and all that. Just talk to some, talk to somebody, you know, talk to a human being. So I think that's really important. 
but yeah there are other messages as well there are other many other things that um that, that make up a great message but uh, people generally need a great connection straight away right. uh, and right you know there's there's also a result people need a result too so when they're you know <laughs> it's when you see a piece of content or you see a headline uh, a lot of people don't promise uh, a result in their headline so if or even if it's talking about a facebook ad you've got to promise what you're going to get because all people care about is what's what's in it for me and people need to see a result and you need to give that to them really quickly it's it's a very important element to add in and then another thing i'd say is actually having in some sort of proof as well so if you can include proof in there that what you're saying is being endorsed by someone else or has been featured in this place or x number of customers have bought it or uh, a testimonial of some kind that people need to all people sense when they look at your ad or your piece of content is risk why should i trust this person so the more proof you can put behind it and then you've got to make message unique and then you've got to push people gently in some ways or forcefully if it's a if it's a paid for piece uh, of advertising towards the next step which might be to download join your newsletter or check out your sales page whatever it might be absolutely yeah really important <laughs> yep that's what i uh, talk about with people as well is sometimes you know when i'm talking about my own marketing my own branding the more that i can essentially make myself into almost an ibm type choice the better off i can be that's just going back to that old saying nobody ever, ever gets fired for hiring ibm he may have liked five other proposals better but when he goes back to his boss and he says, I chose IBM, the boss is never going to say, well, why'd you choose them? Yeah. <laughs> right? That's a really good point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, all people smell us is, is risk really as well, but that's why you've got to give it to them. But I, I think there's, there's also something that people forget is that people can deliver marketing that's too fluffy. It doesn't really say anything. And I think this is why I think it, the message is really important because the message is emotion. It's quite, it can be fairly easy to create emotion and, in people's minds when you're writing something but the message is a message is about motivation right well content marketers a lot of them have been essentially teaching people for the past whatever it is 10 15 years is mm. it's all about the content just create more content because ultimately it'll get more people to your website and they'll buy it's, it's not true <laughs> it's not i promise you right Right. It may get more traffic to your website, but it won't necessarily get more targeted traffic to your website. It won't necessarily get people who are interested in you or your product. They'll show up, they'll be there for two seconds and they'll leave. So yeah, that targeted message sounds like it makes a lot more sense. I, I think so. I mean, content marketing is a funny one. I mean, I was looking at, I was looking at a big science paper. So yeah, as I was saying earlier, like marketing science is a big piece of my background and it's up to me to really simplify it and make it as easy as anything for people to apply. I was looking at a chart, which it was about how about the rate of growth, whether you and it's to do with content marketing. And if you believe a lot of people out there who I won't name names, but if they say keep publishing content, keep publishing, and you do, it's extremely frustrating. And you can see people do it because they they have the same likes from the same people and the same number of likes with most posts, but you know it's not reaching anybody new. And it's partly because, firstly, they just fire stuff out there, and secondly, it's just not interesting. So if you have a unique a different a message if the message is right and interesting then it has potential to travel further but if it has potential to travel further uh, the best way to do it and think is this PRable so if you're always pushing out content you can't make every piece of content PRable and you need to find some sort of cool hero-y type content that can that can take you to the next level and get the attention of the press and the PR and when you know if you can get that naturally 
when you get free media, but it also means that right the press on. like it and your other, you know, and everyone else likes it before, before the press get involved, then, you know, you can put money behind it with advertising uh, and you're backing a really good horse. You know, you wouldn't go to the horse races would you and back a, <laughs> and back a horse that's not got a good track record. So it's like the same with content. If you want some content to really travel far, find a horse that's proven, you know, people like it before press, people like it when the press get hold of it. And now, you know, it's going to really do wonders to you if you put money behind it. That makes a lot of sense. You touched upon something just before, and I, I really want to jump back to that for a second before we move on mm-hmm. to other things. What are some of the reasons that the competition will get the customers, even though the other company is making the better product? Yeah. I mean, for one is size. Uh, and it's very difficult if you're small because there's something called the double jeopardy law, which means the bigger you are, the more likely you are to attract more customers. And the smaller you are, the least likely you are. And it's very hard when you're very small. I've found that, I saw that a lot in my old business. So I, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. They're like, oh, you're just you? I'm like, yeah, with a couple other. And they're like, nope. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do better work probably. than Yeah, sorry. Sorry, I don't mean to jump in. Okay, that's. I'm glad to hear that that's actually a rule. Yeah, and it's called the Double Jeopardy Law. It, it was found out by uh, somewhere called the Ehrenberg Bass Institute in Australia. Uh, it's a marketing science university. Uh, yeah, so they studied data from hundreds of years across hundreds of brands in different countries, and it's wow. it is quoted as a law. And uh, but there are ways to, to work around that. To work around that. So if you're small, there are ways to to stop that. The, the most important thing is having a product. Sure. That's wonderful. If you, you know, you see lots of click funnel advertising. I think people think if you stick a click funnel on, on my product or service, I am going to make millions. Uh, and you might, you might do for a short term. You might use that phrase again, hoodwink a few customers or a number of customers for a while. Um, and you can keep on advertising and just keep chasing new customers because your product isn't that good. So you need to convince other people that it's, um, it's worth investing. And that's quite a tiring business, always promoting and promoting. But you do need, first of all, is a great product. Because if you have a really great product, then the marketing is far easier. And I think if you're a small business, you need to, one needs to really focus on that, on making the product better, keep making the product better. And it's a challenge I've got as well at the moment, because I have spent a number of years absolutely working for agencies, doing marketing strategy and work. And then now recently in the past year or so, working for small businesses as well, and yeah, I picked up, a, there seemed to be a number of products on my list and I need to do a bit of an apple and, uh, you know, go from lots of products down to maybe four core ones. And it's not that I've got too many, but it's just one or two too many. With with some of your clients, you're saying? or Yeah, yeah. I think the stuff I, you know, I'm a one-man band, essentially. I'm a one, like an influencer might be on Instagram. They are, you're one person, but you have to act like you're a five-man media shop half the time. Right, right, right. You know, right. I'm sure you more than know that. And it's, uh, it's, it, it's really hard. Uh, so I think the way to get around that and not see people go to the competition is to be far more focused on your product and keeping it single-minded as possible and not have too many. Maybe have a menu of uh, two or three things. And uh, yeah. Yep, the more you focus, the better you're able to do anything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You mentioned some of these products and how having a good product is amazing. So what are some of the cooler products or services that you've worked with so far? Gosh, yeah, that's a that's a great one. I mean, wow. Uh, well, I'm working with a fantastic startup at the moment. I can't reveal the name or anything <laughs> hugely 
because he says he wants it really under wraps. Yeah. But there's a, there's a guy who's just got really fed up with the, the whole travel industry and the way that you have to search for it's really hard to find anything that's really beautiful and worthwhile going to. So he has the most, he's got his, he's found his fuel, his anger. I always say you've got to start with anger and rage. Uh, first of all, when you start a business, something's really got to annoy you because you want to go and change it. And he's got really annoyed and he's changing something. And I think, I don't know if this is quite answering your question, but I think you do have to start when creating a superior product with rage. Rage is where you've got to start. I would agree that rage could be one of the motivations, although I think that maybe sometimes there are others, you know, passion, love, inspiration. Yeah. Rage can save a life. <laughs> it's true. I recently true. did an interview with somebody who used rage literally to save his own life. And that was on, Whoa. it was wild when I was, when he told me that part of the story, because I'd heard the story before, but I never heard that part. Mm. Are there cool mm. products that you are able to share that you're working with? Oh gosh, yeah. So uh, I suppose it, it just varies month to month to month. I mean, right now I'm working. Oh gosh, I'm working with a number of businesses. So uh, enterprise. Uh, these aren't cool, by the way. I don't know. Oh yeah, um, new dating sites. So they're trying to uh, they're trying to get people to res- uh, respect people when they date. So it's only for people who will treat dates they go on with respect, because a lot of people are just up for sort of quick hookups, and there are a lot of yeah. people who are really fed up with that. That's a very cool site. It's called Old Style Dating. That's cool. And then so how ironic old style dating.com, right? Yeah, exactly. With old style dating starting on the internet. Yeah. It's, it's funny, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you'd think so. I mean, that, that is a very, that's a very cool one. I mean, gosh, you know, every week it changes, but I think the coolest one was Coca-Cola a number of years ago. That was nice. That was a lot of influencer marketing. Okay. So they got people who were into skateboarding, footballers, dancers, to be influencers to spread Coke's contents, and it's, it happened last about last year, and they were celebrating the fact that the Coke can be a reward if you've done it for sort of one-off things, not sort of an everyday treat, but if you've scored that winning goal or you've you've made done that amazing flip or something on your board, then you get a, your reward is a Coke. So they created some very cool content around showing these people doing their tricks on boards. Or That's cool. Whatever. Yeah, it was very. It was really. Cool. That sounds like a really cool campaign. It was. I mean, the media spend was huge. Media spend was huge uh, to, to, re- to reach teens. So it was on Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook. It did very well. Wow. I, I believe it did very well. Last thing I heard. But, you know, people think that if you have the money, TV is, uh, people think TV is dead. It is, it is not. TV is incredibly boringly stable. Um, people's attention is, is, is quite good, actually, with television, uh, despite what um, some people might say when you look at the real data when they properly observe people over countries tv is brilliant so social media is fantastic but if you're a bigger company they companies have struggled taking their money away from television and purely putting it in digital it's not yeah it's my next question a lot of companies are shifting to almost all digital marketing or all digital marketing is it best to do that or because we had had a, a small exchange about offline marketing what's yeah. what's better to do what and why well, do you know that's a that's a great question. It depends on your size, first of all. I think if you're a small startup, I think offline you have to start offline. I'd always say. I know it sounds nuts, unless you're an e-commerce business and that's all how you you're going to do it. But I think in my world, in the consultancy service sort of world, you need to start offline. Um, and the best story I've got actually is, is Barack Obama. He <laughs> he uh, typifies everything from people I've met who are sort of success stories. He I was reading um, a preface to one of his um, books, The Audacity of Hope, and he goes round, he talks about how he went around the country going to sort of turning up at halls with about one person in or two people. And he travels for miles and just find there's hardly anybody there. But when you 
meet people who uh, run their own businesses. That's how they start. They get, they go around, they do the tours, they get their message out there and they refine their message on a small scale offline. And then after a while, people start to follow you and there comes a confidence within yourself that what you're saying is resonating. And if it's resonating with a few people you meet, then maybe it's worth taking it on up to another level, which is when it's worth maybe getting the press involved a bit more or putting, doing campaigns. Right. I'm a huge fan of offline. Um, I, I run events, uh, I get referrals, I have an online community, um, but I don't do any social media, uh, very, very little, because I know how hard it is to do it properly. And I don't have the time. <laughs> right on. Yeah. You, you've mentioned a number of times these marketing science institutes. Mm-hmm. What are we learning from this new wave of evidence-based marketing science that's changing really the fundamentals of how we would market a business? Wow, that's a phenomenal question. Yeah, I mean, you're quite right. Well, the first, there are so many interests, so many sort of revolutionary things that are coming out that I think the bigger brands get access to and some, a number are listening, which is good. I mean, firstly, I'd say actually the, the sources to go to, you should look at anything produced by the Institute for Practitioners of Advertising, IPA in London. You should look at anything to do with. I like IPAs. No, IPA sorry. is a great, I would sorry, highly recommend no. drinking a big beer of a big IPA whilst drinking. <laughs> If you like charts. And stuff. Oh, so you're saying I should drink an IPA and look at the stuff from IPA? Yeah, exactly. Oh, right, I cool. highly recommend it. Just just start there. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's, uh, yeah, it, it'll get you through it. IPA <laughs> is one of the bigger institutes that's coming out with this information? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, Yeah, it's, it has been for a number of years. So there's a, people called Les Binet and Peter Field. And they're, they are, they're probably the most important people in marketing right now. And hardly anyone knows about them, apart from big brands and uh, around you. Interesting. Yeah, Les Binet and Peter Field, phenomenal, wow. phenomenal people. Okay, I'll grab links from Simon later and put them up on the show notes so that anybody who is interested can find these brands and these institutes and learn more about evidence-based marketing science. Yeah, it's not complicated. It's not complicated. You just need to read it and have a beer whilst doing it. So. Fascinating. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Now I'm going to call you out on something again, and I just have to know why. <laughs> Why is it that you're not able to promise me gold mansions and pet panthers? <laughs> I knew someone who was going to ask me that. Well, th- this is my rage, my fuel for setting up the business. So, like, I well, you want to catch people up on why I asked you that? Uh, well, well, so I, I have it in front of me. Should I read it? Yeah. Oh, please, thanks, man. <laughs> on Simon's about page, he starts off with, "I'm not one of those marketers who will promise you gold mansions and pet panthers." So, I'm just wondering, like, what's the dream with gold mansions and pet panthers? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I reckon, you know, when you see one of these um, cheesy click funnel things like saying, I will, I will teach you to, oh, hang on, that's something oh, I'll right. make you rich or, yeah, or this, this is how I got a helicopter and yeah. Don't you want to make $10,000 per day doing nothing but uh, opening up an ad account for us or whatever? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all complete. It's such nonsense. And the amount, I almost fell for it twice uh, when I was starting out. I almost fell for it twice. And I can't believe it with my background and working and, you know, knowing how, it does happen and almost falling for these people. It's going back to exactly what you were saying. They're hitting those emotional key points. They're amazing. <laughs> they're really good. Mom. Right. Cause there, there's so many people out there who have this fear based on money because they're either not making enough or they're making just barely enough. Yeah. And so when they're told that for only a small investment of a few hundred dollars, they can make an, an extra $5,000 a month or whatever. They're like, yes, yes. And then when it ends up being bunk, you know, they a lot of times it's, I guess it's probably too embarrassing to go do much to try and get the money back or anything. I think um, 
but they definitely prey on people they definitely prey on people i mean i you often you get to the you either get to the two thousand three thousand dollar course sort of price tag you feel really pushed you know, rather than doing it on your own way or you get onto a pushy sales call where somebody talks to you for 45 minutes and pretends to listen to you uh, i haven't done this but i definitely i almost did and i spoke to a few people who have and you know they will talk to you and just and then right at the end they'll reveal how much this course is and ten thousand plus dollars is is quite common um, and you have to on the condition is you have to also have about a thousand or so dollars in your bank account per month to spend on advertising and you have to be highly highly motivated to do it all yourself so i thought why would you need these people all they're going to do is just use you as a case study to get other people in and i just right yeah. take ten thousand dollars and go put it into something else <laughs> exactly and just start pushing it you know even put ten thousand dollars into products that you can sell on a plain old e-commerce website and then spend a thousand dollars a month on advertising and you'll probably have a decent business quite honestly you're, you're bang on and also the thing is you'll learn the mistakes that you make because you'll probably lose money at first with advertising people do uh, because you don't understand the channel you're not sensitive enough to the channel that you're using and every channel has its own nuance whether it's direct marketing whether it's running your own events offline or whether it's running facebook ads every channel has its nuance to it and you don't really can't know those too well until you do it yourself yeah there are some good courses there's a guy called like john luma who's a very good guy for facebook ads but you can get a good teacher, but you will, in the beginning, make a lot of mistakes, like with anything. But then after a while, you get used to it. You find out what's really generating clicks, and um, and then it starts to pay back. So that's why I wrote, so the Gold Panther, the Gold Mansion, Gold Panther, I don't think they exist, but the, <laughs> the Gold Mansion and the Pet Panthers, man, they are. Um, they, they seem to be sort of the, the, the dream for the get-rich-quick crowd. Yeah. Are these the same misleading marketing advice that you're battling against, or is, this, is that something else? This is it. No, this is it. This is the fuel behind why I started the business. But, awesome. I mean, I don't sort of wake up every morning. The rage behind why you started the business, yeah? It is the rage. But as you said, you know, it quickly turns into something positive because when you have that rage, you think, how can I solve it? And when you think about how you solve things, you don't feel incredibly positive, incredibly passionate. And you think, I'm going to do it this way. This is amazing. It's amazing. Like rage for a short burst can be really useful. And then everything turns positive. Um, and I try, even though I might have slightly over-talked about it in this <laughs> in this interview, I try to focus on the positive side of things uh, because everything is, there is such a much better way of doing things than than the get-rich-quick crowd try to hoodwink you with. Yeah. Yep. Did you have any moments of like a huge failure from your life? Can you think of anything off the top of your head that you're willing to share? You know, obviously. Uh, yeah, I've had a number of failures. I'm a very open person. I don't mind. I mean, one that springs to mind was... Um, I don't know how huge a failure it is, but um, gosh, I'm trying to think back. So one was about four years ago where I set up a business called, the, it was called the Green Fast Lane. And I wanted people to go green. I wanted people to live green lifestyles and I'd help them solve it. The problem was that it was it was a really good idea, but it wasn't a business idea. There was a, there were people are very interested in it and they'll turn up to to free talks in, in you know village halls or town halls. And oh, but as soon as they have to fork over money, yeah. no, thank you. No, no, thank you. It was um, people have lots of nice ideas that they tried to make a business out of, but actually, I hadn't, I hadn't solved anyone's problem. It was my problem I was solving. It wasn't really anyone's problem. And even though, because that's because people talk about it. I mean, and I spent, I wrote like a few thousand words on blog posts, and uh, you know, got home late, and it was a pain. What made you realize that it wasn't going anywhere? <laughs> I re- <laughs> I just realized that nobody really cared. 
I think the more I talk to people offline about it, like, oh, that's a good idea, but it's not for me. It's, not, it's a good idea, but it's not. For me. And I thought, well, I didn't even start with the basics. You know, I didn't even start with solve a problem. I know there's the rage and things I wanted to change, but it just wasn't what how I was trying to change things was was not commercial. Um, and I spoke to a guy who'd been doing it for years, and he'd written books about it. And he said, Look, I've got a family. And he said, people will turn up at your talks, but that's about it. And he'll sell a few books. But he said, it all comes from governments. It all comes from changing them, trying to save the planet. And I, But that said, having stepped away from it, I'm starting to work for brands who are doing some good stuff for the world in small or large ways. Well, there's a way that you can actually make a difference. Yeah, there is. It's lovely, I think. With people who want to pay you to do it, which is also very important because you've got to live yeah and you know you've got to start with your expertise as well if you're going to retrain in something it's a long learning curve to catch up with people who've been doing it for years and then make accounts of it so it's quite a tall order once you realize that this was not going anywhere what did you do specifically to overcome it to to get past it oh man I, i i tried another wacky idea which was to try and make vegan protein shakes that sounds like that would work it would yeah, it was nuts because I thought, oh, I'd need to hire a big team. And the, the cost per sale, the profit per, per product was just net profit would be negligible. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I'm sure you can do it if you have enough investment and enough team. You need thought, investment. You need the facility and the investment. But I think that sounds like a marketable idea. Although, like you said, you need the investment. So, Well, do you know what I did find, actually? One thing that really helped was um, there's a great book out, which I haven't read, but I listened to an interview on it. There's a guy called Paul Jarvis, and he... He's written a book called Company of One, and it's all about why you don't need to be bigger, you just need to be better. And that's why Company of One works. And that's the sort of philosophy I've always been attracted to. So I think that's why I sort of rejected the vegan protein shake idea, for example, because I thought it's, it's going to need a team. It's going to be a lot of hassle. Yeah. Oh, right, right. That makes a lot of sense. How did you begin to move mentally away from this mental mode of failure and what I did does not work to the mental mode of success, which is what everybody need it's part of the requirement to be able to build something viable right yeah it is i mean in terms you need a great teacher um however successful or unsuccessful you are you need a great teacher and that was my first fantastic step so like a teacher or mentor or both mentor yeah i think a teacher's i prefer the phrase teacher to mentor because a teacher says you're going to get something at the end of it that you can implement and you can ask questions about and i think a mentor feels a little bit more vague a little bit, so it's a guy you'll meet for a coffee once a month and just he'll give you a bit of direction then off you go but i i, I mean somebody who can be in fairly regular contact with uh-huh. okay that was the best decision i made yeah. who did you find oh so there's a guy called uh sean de souza from psycho tactics and so i've definitely i think i bought all his courses now i think i've uh, no click funnels whatsoever he's he's a company of one uh guy as well uh he has a great podcast called the it's called a three-month vacation okay and it's wonderful. He's got a great forum. I bought some of his very expensive consultancy products. But what the most important thing that I learned moving from big brand advertising is that if you're going to work with small businesses, you also need to get a high level of skill that's focused on that on that size too. So I was um, I'm always a student. So and I would always use him as my mentor because you need a mentor. Um, and I don't know who he uses or if he has a mentor. I'm not sure. But uh, I think everyone who's successful I've met says. They have a mentor, they have a teacher, whatever you want to call it. It's really important because, you know, when you're stuck in your own head and you think you're doing something right, they can stop you from making errors. 
or they can reduce the errors and they can increase your skill. Absolutely. Sometimes just bouncing an idea off of somebody helps discover the flaws in it. Well, it's really true. You know, I mean, I, this isn't me promoting my own stuff at all. Um, intentionally in a salesy way, it's actually true. I've got a very small, small business community called Brainy Lounge. And I've got about around 10, maybe hopefully a couple of signups this week. It's only about two weeks old. But the reason I set it up is to, it's because I found people were getting sleazy sales pitches about uh, whenever they went to networking events. And this was one customer's problem. So I, I made a, a community around that. It's a community with no sleazy sales pitches. And um, they charge like a Netflix subscription rate every month. Well, I charge that. And they get to ask me lots of questions and they can support each other. I like that because you can bounce ideas off people. And, you Because know, you, go, you go mad in your own head if you just don't talk to anybody and you're running your own business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keeping it all inside your head does not work. No, I highly unrecommend it if that's a grammatical way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was an effective way of putting it, that's for sure. <laughs> It's a strong unrecommendation. Yeah. <laughs> How would you define success and greatness? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I, I think it's an incredibly personal thing. I, I don't think success is what you see on the front cover of Forbes. Absolutely. I think it's a trap. It's a trap that too many people fall for. And, um, and it's at least it's a path yes. to unhappiness. That's a big goal of this podcast is to point out that money does not equal success. No. Yes. Oh, quite. I mean, it's, it is... I couldn't agree more. In Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, there's something called the end curve, and it's a study I've seen replicated. And it all it, it's a, another cool graph, gosh, I like graphs, don't I? But the guy, there's a if the peak happiness for people is about seventy thousand US dollars, and anything lower than seventy thousand dollars, and anything above, happiness diminishes. Right. And there was a UK study done, and they said fifty thousand pounds, and that, that equates to seventy thousand dollars. Yep. Well, it's because it's anything less than that, the people are too concerned about money and how to pay bills and stuff that there's too much stress to, to achieve full happiness, I guess you could say. And then over that, sometimes people just get start getting more and more lost. And I mean, there's tons of reasons why more than that would create a disparity with happiness. Mm, yeah. You know, they have too much time on their hands. They are aimless. They don't know what to do with themselves. I mean, the list goes on. This is conjecture, obviously. It's not based on studies. But yeah, I've, I've seen the same thing with the $70,000 mark. And right. So like when I say like money does not equal success, I do want to point out that like you need to be hitting a certain amount of financial independence or a certain amount of financial self-reliance before, you know, you can start talking about the higher level questions of, you know, like, how do I be happy? What can I do to make, to create more happiness in my life? How can I feel better? How can I this, you know, et cetera, because there is a certain amount of stress that comes with not making enough. But that doesn't usually mean a million dollars a year, twenty million dollars. You know, the CEO position is not usually the only financial position that you can be happy in. <laughs> That's a great quote. That is a very good quote. But I mean, who is it? Ryan Holiday. He wrote "Ego is the Enemy" and in the book. He said he he burnt out by in his twenties, even though he was a marketing headed up marketing at um, is it American Apparel or however it's or apparel or however it's pronounced. Yeah. But, you know, he completely burnt out. He just said that's not what life's about. And it's not. It's not. It's a shame. Things are changing, yeah. Do you think you have a definition of success and greatness that you're striving towards? It doesn't have to be your only definitive one. Any thoughts you've had on it? Oh, it it's a personal one. I mean, I've definitely given you a definition of what's not successful. <laughs> and that's Forbes magazine, front cover. And I, I think the only, uh, the only definition of success to me is being able to be there for your family and yes. your friends 
and doing work you just love and hopefully the money will follow uh, that's that's probably about yep. i don't really care much more beyond that i think um yeah i have an upper limit of income i'd, I'd like and sadly to move to a slightly bigger house where i live just outside london where prices are expensive i do need to you know get to a certain limit to, to be able to afford that slightly bigger house but um that's just sure sadly how it is in this part of the country but you know if you're happy in the size you have to drop in. that's how it is everywhere so based on that you know family and doing what you love what uh, would you say is your most successful moment to date or one of the most successful moments oh gosh that's a nice question no that is a very good question <laughs> i wouldn't say i've had um i mean i've had definitely successful moments I, i'd actually call my life like a if I look back, a series of smaller successful moments. There you go. So that's much more meaningful. I wouldn't say I've had a, a rocky moment where, you know, this this is it. This is the pinnacle. <laughs> I think life is, <laughs> in all truth, a series of small successes. And then sometimes they get amplified to a massive one. Sometimes they don't, you know, have presentations that, like the one I, I did a few weeks ago, which was very, very successful. But yeah, to the, to the people who saw it. But yeah, I think life is full of many successes. Yeah. Awesome. In one of these moments of success, let's just talk about that presentation you gave a few weeks ago that you mentioned. How did you feel in the moment? Like, can you describe how you were feeling when you were giving this presentation that you felt was really able to change people's lives and inspire people to a new way of doing marketing? Yeah. Well, I mean, the the feeling of success has, it actually comes before. You need the setup comes before because if you don't put in the hard work, and because this is a brand new concept I was launching to the public, which is this, well, it's not, it's not brand new to me, but to this audience, it was of emotional acupuncture. And I worked incredibly hard to make it as watertight as possible. Um, and because it had to change people's perceptions in the room about how to do content better. And there's some big names in the room as well, in, at least in London. Uh, so it was important that I did that. So but without that tension beforehand, you don't get the same sort of release of feeling of success when you see people nodding and asking the right questions. And, but what the most important thing is the feedback at the end. The feedback at the end because you get people asking the right questions you get business leads and then the feedback form you know it was um it got some incredibly good feedback but it's just you know that's that's quite literal and boring isn't it it's not the most emotional thing you feel it in the end no no i love that you pointed that out because that's something that so many people when they're in their mind they're dreaming towards getting to where they want to go and success and greatness and all this other stuff so many people miss the point that it comes through hard work because what we're what we're bombarded with from the media and from all these books, let's say that come out, is the success story. You know, like overnight the guy became a success. Overnight this happened. Overnight he created Facebook. Overnight he did this. Overnight he did that. And that may be the case for some of these things, but for a lot of these things, it's not really overnight. They're glossing over a lot of the details of a lot of the hard work that went into it, or a lot of the time and effort that went into it. And for many of us, like we need to know about that. We need to know like. Yeah, it took hard work, but because I put in the hard work, that's how I was so confident with what I was doing. That's how I was able to really truly feel that feeling of success when I was standing up there and telling it to people and seeing in their eyes how much they loved it and how much it meant to them to finally get this this paradigm shift to a new way of looking at things. And and I created that through my hard work. <laughs> Do you know, you're quite right. I think you've, you've captured the moment there is when you see it in other people's eyes i think that's what it's all about you can see the spark in their eyes and you know it's worked it's awesome <laughs> that's your feedback isn't it the spark in their eyes is the feedback that's great yeah there you go you got it out of me i didn't know that until you until you asked the question <laughs> very good interview <laughs> <laughs> well thank you 
we're going to be winding down. I did have just one other thing I wanted to ask you. Mm. We're beyond like all the questions and stuff. And really now what I want to ask from you is an actionable tip for our listeners. I always like to close off the interviews with one concrete piece of advice that people can put in, into play in their life now to help them move on their way to greatness. Yeah, I'd say don't look at the competition. Don't look at the competition. Stay in your lane, baby. Keep your eye focused. <laughs> Keep focused where you are. Don't look either side of you. Just look at the next step. Glance up briefly at the top of the mountain. But apart from that, most of the time, look at the next step in front of you and don't glance to your left or your right. That's awesome. That's really terrific. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Simon. Well, thank you too. It's been a real pleasure and fantastic questions too. Thank you. Thank you. Too often, everybody around us tells us, pay attention to what the competition is doing. Hey, what are they doing? Hey, what's your competition doing? What are they doing that you're not doing? You should figure out what's going on on their end. You should try and figure out what they know. But with many of us, we're so small or we're so distracted or we have so much stuff to do that if we spend our time looking at what they're doing and potentially creating those feelings of jealousy, we'll never move forward. Like Simon just said, yeah, you got to lift your head up every once in a while. You got to pay attention to what's going on around you at least a little bit. But make sure that you pay attention to what you're doing. Don't look at the competition. Don't look all around you and try and figure out, hey, oh man, that kid I just went to high school with, I just saw that he's doing this and this and this. You don't know what's really going on in his life. You only see what they've put up online for you to see. You don't know whether or not it's really something that makes them successful or not. How do you define success? This is what it all comes down to. What is successful according to you? Because if what they're doing and what they're going for is not successful and you're paying attention to them and you're grading yourself on their curve, you're never going to measure up because they're going after what they're going after and you should be going after what you should be going after. So don't look at the competition. Pay attention to what's going on in your life always work on becoming a better you, right? If you are continuously working to improve yourself, then how much else do you really need to work on, right? For me, I'm the best Ari that I can be today. And then if I can be a little bit better tomorrow, over the course of an entire year, I'll be 365 parts better. That's what it's all about. Don't look at the competition. Stay in your lane. Pay attention to what you're doing and just constantly be working on yourself, on improving yourself, and on being a better you. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you joining us on our journey today, on our way to greatness. Help us get the show in front of other listeners. Check us out on iTunes. Check us out on Stitcher. Leave us a review. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review. Tell us what you think. Tell us about how you experienced the show, how you found it. Tell us something, but the important thing is, is to go in there and leave a rating if you like the show, because that is one of the key ways that people find out about this show. So make sure you go and hit that subscribe button. If you like the show, leave us a review. If you want to get to the show really quickly, really easily on iTunes, you can just type in ariguns.com forward slash iTunes. That's guns with a Z or ariguns.com forward slash Stitcher. And that'll take you to the Stitcher page where you can leave a review or to the iTunes page where you can leave a review. We would love your support. It will help us grow the show, and that's what we need. We need more listeners. We need to build our audience up so that we can all go on this journey together. This journey is so important. Come travel with us. 
Thank you for listening to the Way to Greatness podcast, where we explore the journey from failure and mediocrity to success and greatness. Keep moving on your way to greatness. Join us next week for more stories, inspirations, and interviews to help you achieve the greatness within you. Oh, 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 o